If you're just tuning into Civic Cipher, I am your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward. And as he mentioned, you are tuned into Civic Cipher. Yes, indeed. And keep riding with us as we continue to broadcast the balance and defend the discourse from these Hip Hop Weekly Studios. Stick around because we have a lot more to talk about, including a rethink of the carceral system here in these United States of America. Long overdue, it yeah. sounds like. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? To be honest with you, I have known people who are somewhere on the spectrum going from prisons are absolutely necessary for the rehabilitation of criminal behavior to abolish prison, prisons outright. And it wasn't until I had this rethink that we're going to get into a little bit later in the show that I started to really understand just how much our current way of thinking holds us back. So stay tuned. First and foremost, though, we are going to discuss BA, BA, becoming a better ally, Baba. Today's Baba, sponsored by Friends of the Movement. You can sign up for the free voter wallet from FOTMglobal.com to support black businesses and allied businesses, as well as make an impact with your spending. Again, that's FOTMglobal.com. And today's Baba, this is an ally in the truest sense, or this behavior is worthy of applause. This comes from NPR. Pink is joining the fight against book banning. Thank you, Pink. In collaboration with Pen America and Florida Best, sorry, Florida bookseller Books and Books, the Grammy-winning pop musician is giving away 2,000 challenged books at her concerts in Miami and Sunrise, Florida. The books, which have appeared in Pen America's index of banned books, include Beloved by Toni Morrison, Amanda Gorman's The Hill We Climb, Girls Who Code, by Rejma Sojani and Todd Parr's The Family Book. It's confusing, it's infuriating, it's censorship, Pink said in an Instagram video announcing her action. The video, which also featured Pen America's president, Suzanne Nozell, has been linked to more than has been linked more than 33,000 times. Liked. Liked, sorry. Don't have my glasses on. <laughs> All right. Uh, quote, books have held a special joy for me from the time I was a child. And that's why I'm unwilling to stand by and watch while books are banned by schools, Pink said in a pen statement about the giveaway. She goes on to say it's especially hateful to see authorities take aim, aim at books about race and racism against LGBTQ authors and those of color. We have made so many strides toward equality in this country, and no one should want to see this progress reversed. This is why I am supporting PEN America in its work and why I agree with them. No more banned books. And we always do our best to applaud folks who are becoming better allies by using their platforms and really taking on uncomfortable stances. And I'd imagine that's true with Pink. Okay. So... We are going to talk about the carceral system. And this is one piece of the entire criminal justice system. We spent the first half of the show talking about police. Law enforcement. Law enforcement, yeah. And, you know, we we have problems there with police. We have problems with sentencing. And we have problems with how we think about the carceral system. And it's always interesting to do these readings that we do because we learn so much from these great thinkers who allow us to step outside of our own way of thinking, our own framework, mental framework, to re-examine critically what holds our society up. 
Well, this happens because it's always happened that way, and it's too difficult to undo it. And these brilliant minds cause us to rethink even that position, because the, the fact of the matter is that these rethinks aren't tall orders. It doesn't require any people being any different. And in this instance, it was very easy for me. I've shared this on the show before, and I'll, I'll share it again. Um, I have an older brother who went to prison for a very, very, very long time. Not quite football numbers, but a long time. You know, It might have been somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 15 years. And you would think that my brother did something wild. And I mean, I suppose it depends on who you ask, but I don't think it was wild. My brother got a brand new Cadillac Escalade and my family's from California. I'm from California. California is a place where people will jack you for your car. Carjackings take place in California. So my brother decided to protect himself by owning a firearm. Um, one day, because he had this in his vehicle, to protect himself. There was some people that were messing with his girlfriend, now wife. They were being, they were harassing her. And my brother was outnumbered, but he knew that, hey, if I get this gun, fire it in the air, it might scare these guys off, and then we can get out of here. It was exactly what he did. Um, now, we thought everything was going to be okay. We, his family, because... Fortunately, where he was, it was on video. It's clearly shooting in the air. Guys run away. They get out of there. Everything's fine. Um, my brother went to jail, prison, for attempted murder. 15 years they took my brother from me. And it's on video. He wasn't trying to murder anyone. Story checks out. You know, he's obviously his, his now wife is there. Tell our version of the story. And this is the carceral system in the United States of America. This is my brother. This is not like the homie. This is my father's son that I'm talking about. So when I came across this, which I want to shout out, um, we are push black on Instagram. Give them a, a, a once over and give them a follow. If, if you're into this type of content, um, I believe that this is really some profound content for thought experiments and rethinking just how the world looks and feels to you. If you're black, if you're not black, you know, it's just important that we share this information and we understand a little bit more about each other's walks. But um, this comes, or this starts off three ways carceral logic limits our imaginations and restricts our futures. Okay, so I'll read a bit. Carceral logic is the way of thinking that made prisons and policing or carceral systems possible because we've normalized those systems. We still use this logic even outside context of incarceration. Here's three examples. So this is a very easy thought experiment to follow. I'm going to go through these examples one by one. Okay. Number one, are you innocent or are you guilty? Now, you're just listening to me ask that. Sounds simple enough, right? Turns out, realistically, most real people and real conflicts are more complex than that. 
Carceral logic, however, tells us there's a terrible few, the guilty people who do the wrong things because they have something wrong with them, but that establishes a dangerous, inaccurate binary, especially for marginalized people. And funnily enough, on this show, and I want you to jump in here, Q, because I know that this has been one of the things that you've been certainly even more passionate about than me. But for, for folks who have a traditional mindset, innocent, guilty, um, do the crime, do the time, that sort of thinking, that when it lacks humanity, when it lacks empathy, when it lacks context, overlooks people's circumstances. And if we, if we agree that human beings deserve like, how about this? If there's a stray dog that looks very thin and it's outside of your house, let's say you live on a house, and the dog knocks over your trash can and takes some food and runs off, you would that would make sense. Okay, the dog is trying to survive. Indeed, if it was a dog, most people might actually say, wow, that dog is hungry. Let me feed the dog. Okay. Um, if that is a person, not a dog, and the person is black, people, funnily enough, treat that human being worse in many instances. Because we've seen many videos of police kicking black men and they're like, yo, what did I do? I was just walking down. What, what's going on? The police are kicking. No, stop resisting. All that sort of stuff. And people are like, yeah, well, clearly he did something. And then the thought experiment that we have often is, excuse me, um, Swap out that black man for a dog. Do you still feel the same way? And then most people are like, of course not. And um, so uh, this is where I want you to jump in. Guilty or innocent. If I'm poor, I come from impoverished circumstances and I need to eat or I need to figure out a way to get some money together so that I can pay for where I live or whatever. Does that make me a bad person or does that make me a poor person? And I, and I get that there's a lot of nuance here, but it's, it's a good question to ask because I could show you bad people who are wealthy people and then they do bad things to gain more wealth. But it's very hard for me with proper context to look at poor people and feel that they should be held to the same standard or indeed a worse or a more harsh standard than people who are just greedy for the sake of being greedy. All right, go ahead. Nuance. It's one of my favorite words. And this spoke about the idea of us having a carceral logic even outside the idea of incarceration, right? Two, you know, examples that I want to point out. The first and most obvious is in the way that you just described, right? In this capitalist society, there has to be a good guy and a bad guy. And a lot of that is in order to uphill, uphold, I'm sorry, the society, Right. The interjection of nuance and context and complexity 
makes it far too difficult to enforce this law and this system the way that we want to, right? Mm -hmm. Bad people do bad things, send them to jail. It's way easier than asking all the questions why and what circumstances led to, et cetera, et cetera. Then far more simple examples like relationships, right? A romantic relationship comes to an end. Someone there had to be the bad guy. <laughs> there is no space yeah. for nuance. And I know that story and decisions being made for reasons outside of that person's just bad. I know that story. That's why I brought yeah, it we up. Both do. <laughs> I, got to, I got to be painted as the bad guy sure. in a very, very public way. Yeah. Once upon a time yeah. to, to, to hundreds and thousands of strangers who got to then have a full fleshed out opinion of me with very, very little, da little data very very little context with very very little in the way of complexity and nuance mm -hmm. right this pretty person said i was bad so i must be and it was easy to to view me and other people male and female on the wake of a relationship gone south a romantic relationship right probably our most flimsy relationship are those of romance and, mm -hmm. and passion mm -hmm. when they fall apart and go south someone has to be the bad guy and there has to be a punishment assigned to the bad person mm -hmm. um it's never that straight. Well, that's not fair. Sometimes it is. There are there is a such thing yeah. as bad people. Like let's sure. not we don't want to pretend like yeah, that. Let's not, not pretend. True. Yeah. Right. But in often cases, bad is a label that gets placed on somebody because of a decision made because of circumstance. Yeah. And we'd rather not have those complex conversations about circumstance because it makes upholding a specific system and making very black and white linear uh you know, in some cases, bad logic decisions, hard to make. If you interject these complexities and nuance and context and color, well, we'd rather it just be black and white. Mm. You know, and, and there's something funny here too, specifically, because I've, I've said this on a recent episode too, that, um, a bar from Tupac, um, it's not a, I wonder if heaven got a ghetto. It's probably, I, the song will come to me, but he says, um, Instead of a war on poverty, they got a war on drugs so the police can bother me. And I think that that really shows. That's just the way it is. is that's just song. the way. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know. How, I'm a DJ. I don't know how I forgot that one. You're a DJ, though. Thank Tupac, you for remembering. Tupac has a lot of songs. songs that's fair. a lot of yeah. profound messages. Yeah, so that's yeah. how. But I know it came from the same album or same time frame, you know. But anyway, um, that statement, I think, kind of really encompasses the way that the government or the powers that be or the societal framework under which we live um, is just comfortable with things being the way that they are. It overwhelmingly upholds people who have privilege. That could be wealth. That could be their racial composition. That could be opportunities. That could be, you know, where their dad went to school or who their mom knew or whatever. Um, and it, disproportionately negatively affects people like us especially if when you're looking at a carceral system that disproportionately sentences black people to uh, sorry sentences black people to disproportionately long sentences i think that's what i'm trying to say um you start to realize that the data shows that it's a much tougher go for us 
based on this binary system when there's no room for nuance. And this this is true. I've been I've been to court before and they have, you know, a judge would be like, I got a ticket once. How about this? I got a ticket once. Judge is like, well, the ticket was for like tags. I had a paper tag. I bought a new car, right? And the paper tag expired, but the dealership was supposed to send me the new tag. You know, mm-hmm. that's what you pay for when you get the car. And the dealership never sent it to me. So I'm driving, get pulled over, I get a ticket, right? Um, and then I go to court for this ticket and I was trying to let them know, Hey, I, I've done everything that I could possibly do. Um, this is not my crime. This is indeed the crime of the dealership because had I received everything that would have been there, I still have to go to work. This is my only car. I bought it. You know, this is what I was thinking. There's all the nuance for you. The judge wasn't trying to hear nuance. The judge was like, were you driving with a expired paper tag? Yes or no. And under those circumstances, I have to say yes. And I don't have any money to fight. At the time, I was going to school and I had to pay for my own school. You know what I mean? So I certainly didn't have money to fight a ticket. And then I'm now I'm, you see how it goes. So anyway, the point here is that nuance helps where currently we have a binary system. Let's go to step two. Defining punishment is complex, too. You might consider blocking someone's number, punching someone or killing someone who hurt you. Hurt also exists on a spectrum. In other words, there are mandatory minimums. There are three strikes laws. There are things like this where, how about three strikes? Um, Brian Stevenson, who we're a big fan of on this show, um, he is the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative. Please look him up too. He's a, a very profound speaker and a brilliant mind. Um, Brian Stevenson uh, said on a TED Talk once upon a time, he says, you know, the three strikes laws in California have people who've lived rough lives, just how it is. No one wakes up in the morning and is like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to do crime. People are like, I need to get the opportunity wherever I can. Some people. I'll interject again. Because some people might. Bad people exist. Yeah. Right. But the the people that we know that end up in these stories that we end up coming across. Lots of people that end hard. up in these stories. That's not the yeah, case. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard for us to imagine that no they're that way. Like that sure. Rams has pointed out earlier in, in, in our coverage today that there are people who are well off. That still wake up. Yeah, that's exactly what he just said. Thank you for making sure that I'm I'm all the way right. But what you have is people that have lived rough lives that, you know, maybe they're, they see a bicycle. They think that's the bike that was taken from them. So they take it back and now they have to go to prison forever. Right. So again, rethinking punishment is another part of this. And I want to make sure we get this, this last one here. Is number three. Punishment in this context, along with surveillance and violating human rights, is more so an abuse of power. Yes, prisons, but also actions like parents beating children. State-enforced carceral logic leaves us little room to question punishments or approach individual harms as part of a collective, like eliminating the actual causes of systemic sexual or racial violence. We're expected to trade our agency for how the state responds to our conflicts, leaving many violent survivors dissatisfied or criminalized themselves. Carceral logic is ingrained in our world, but it's still a system of opinions. We can choose to believe something else. We can imagine and create more empowering logics and a safer world. Now, I don't want to leave us right there. So I'm going to share some, some good news, which is rare on this show. But I came across this statistic, and funnily enough, it was uh, Ben Crump that uh, first posted it, and then I went and researched it to make sure that it was true. But as it turns out, the imprisonment rates for black women are in decline. 
They've declined 70% from 2000 to 2021. Keep going. And then for black males, rates declined 48% during the same time frame. And obviously, this is a major step forward. It still disproportionately affects us. We still get the disproportionate sentences. But over the you know two decade plus you know uh, time frame, you can see that you know either we are you know figuring a way to avoid this, or something is working. I I, I would I, I think that I probably should do some more research into what might be causing these um, these rates. But um, this is very special. Uh, the truth of the matter is that one in five black males born in 2001 is, it li- is likely to experience imprisonment in their lifetimes. That sounds like a lot, and it is, but that's down from one in three black males. Born when we were born. Born in 1981. And you're free to verify this. Uh, go to sentencingproject.org. And uh, check that out. But yeah, as it turns out, incarceration rates for black people are dropping. And I, I'd imagine that's why in the past couple of years, there's been this big push. Um, to make us look the, more criminal? For the stakeholders of the prisons in the yes, country indeed. to try to keep them filled. Oh, and they've yeah. renegotiated their deals with different cities and and uh, criminal justice you know, uh, departments and so forth. But, um, but yeah, rethinking that system in its entirety is something that we want you to do. Obviously, if you're an elected official, shoot, put that on your platform. But if you're just a person who is like us. And reimagining your daily life too, not just with regards to incarceration in prison, but like this, like the reading says, with our relationships, with our children. Everything, yeah, absolutely. That that binary is very dangerous and and it causes us to miss out on really the the bulk of what it is we're supposed to learn from our stories. So with that in mind, I guess we'll leave that one right there. I'd like to thank you all once again for tuning into this installment of Civic Cipher. I've been your host, Ramses Ja. He has been Ramses Ja. I still am. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> and, um, you know, engage with us, civiccipher.com and civiccipher at civiccipher on all social media. Uh, you know, like, love, share, comment, subscribe, follow all of that yeah yeah and um we want to give a big shout out to the black information network if you're listening to us on a bin station uh we appreciate you want to let you know that you welcome can, to the cypher indeed and let you know that you can uh get the full show at civiccipher.com uh in case you missed uh any part of it and as q mentioned please tap in with us on social media at civic cypher on all platforms we need that support because we attract a lot of trolls and until next week y'all Peace. Peace.